welcome. Whether you're at whether you're at home uh, on the internet here in person, I'd like you welcome to the Valley of Elam. I don't know if you can see, but over here to our right on this hill stands a giant of a man. Almost 10 feet tall, weighs over 650 pounds. He's a trained assassin. And for 40 days he's come out and he's hurled ridicules across the valley over here to the Israelites. And today as we stand here, there is a shepherd boy. No medic... uh, military training, no armor. He's a whopping five foot and a hundred and something. And when you interview him, he says, the Lord delivered me for the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear. He'll take care of me in regards to the Philistine. It's God's battle, not mine. I don't know about you, but when I think of that story, I wonder, do you think David was afraid of Goliath? Do you think he had any anxiety over what he'd gotten himself into? And I don't think he did. I think he believed that God would deliver him. But when it comes down to boiling that all down to little old me, sometimes I have what I would describe as schizophrenic faith. I believe that God is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. He could take care of COVID-19 like that. There's no limits to what he can do. But when the circumstances kind of turn and they kind of focus in on me, I often begin to exhibit doubt. Will he take care of me? Will he put food on the table when I have no job? When the anxieties of this world begin to build, I find myself often becoming more and more anxious. Pastor John started a series last week on dealing with stress, stress breakers. He said the first step in that is to change how we think. Do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what to do when the anxieties of this world begin to close in. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures that give us a road map, an antidote to anxiety. For these next few minutes, we pray that you'll clear away the noise, the clutter that so easily entangles us in our thoughts. 
and hear the message that you have for every one of us that can penetrate our hearts, that it can produce change, it can produce calmness in chaos and melt our anxieties away. Father, I pray that when we leave this place today, when we shut off our computers, our radios today, we will never be the same. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote four epistles uh, called prison epistles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And they're called Christologic epistles. They deal with Christ and who He is and He's fully God and fully man. And when you get into Philippians talks about Christ in me and Christ in front of me and behind me. And when you get to chapter 4, the Philippians have the same questions you and I have this morning. What about me? What happens to me? And reading from the New American Standard, beginning in verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Now, that word anxious means in the Greek, around, surround, from all directions. And often, when I get anxious, I, I feel like this pressure coming in, and it's coming in from all directions. Sometimes it's hard to even identify what it is that I'm anxious about. And I think too often we allow our circumstances to begin to influence how we think and what our anxieties are. And I envision myself on a riverbank looking across to the if-only side. If only the virus hadn't hit. If only it would have rained when I needed the rain for the crops. If only I had this what about, I allow my circumstances to begin to dictate and infiltrate in to feed my anxieties. Recently, I read an article about how to deal with your anxieties, and it said, number one, write them down. And then two, take that list to a friend or mentor. And discuss it. And deal with it head on. And then don't let it permeate your thoughts. Be anxious for nothing. That's easily said, but incredibly difficult to do. And then the verse goes on and says, And pray about everything. I'm not sure if you understand that, but I often, when I'm in prayer, I'll wonder, does God really care about the little things? And then the next thought is, does he really care about the big things? Are, are the big things in my life big to God? And he says, pray about everything. And 
too often we pray to God like he's a great genie in the sky and it's gimme, gimme, gimme. And if we want to develop a relationship, sometimes we need to say, I'm sorry. Sometimes we say need to say, you know, I'm thankful for you and what you've done for me, and I appreciate that. And when we go to prayer, it's no different. We need to confess our sins to God, and we need to ask Him to forgive us. And we need to be praising Him. What a glorious day we have today. So we're not to worry, and we're to pray about everything. It's interesting in that verse, he uses three verbs. He says, pray and request and supplicate. And that supplication is a specific request. And he, he asks us to pray specifically. And there's some value in that because if you have a specific prayer, you can know if that has been answered. This last week I had a specific prayer that was answered, that was a miracle, a medical miracle in my opinion. A staff person for FCA a year ago was diagnosed with stage 3 bone cancer. And on Monday of this week was told that not that the cancer was in remission, but that there is no cancer. A specific prayer a specific prayer that was answered that reinforces that there is a God that cares. He cares about the little and the big things. Don't worry and pray. And then it gets a little harder, I think. He says, and be thankful in all things. The operative word is in, not for. I don't need to be thankful for the coronavirus. I don't need to be thankful for my health issues or my relationship problems or my bank account. But I can be thankful in those circumstances. Regardless of how good it is, there's often some bad. No matter how bad it is, there's often good. There's always the ability to look to God and say thank you for the very air that we're breathing today, for the measure of health that we have, for the rain we had the other day. He says, with an attitude of thanksgiving, bring your prayers to me. And then he says, and the peace of God. will guard your hearts. Do we have the peace of God? The answer is no. If you take that adjective and switch it, do we have peace with God? And I would contend that anybody that's a Christian that has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior has peace with God. For the Bible says we've all have sinned and we fall short and that sin separates us from God. And God solved that problem 
of forgiveness of sin by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, shed his blood, was buried, resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of God. And if I want forgiveness of my sins, I can go to God in prayer and say, I understand that there's sin in my life. I want forgiveness for that. And I accept Jesus' death on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for my sins. And the scriptures say in 1 John, if you do that, I've written these things in order that you may know you have eternal life. I think too often we stop there and just say, say the prayer and you're forgiven. And that's true, but if it's a genuine heartfelt prayer, there will be a change. It says the old has passed away, the new has come. There will be evidence of a turning of the individual and pursuing Christ. But the verse doesn't say, I'll give you peace with God, because he is assuming he's writing to Christians. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God is a supernatural peace. It's the eye of a hurricane. The calmness when chaos is all around you. It's a peace when everything should be falling apart and you've got this inner contentment. We sing the song, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart that regardless of what's going on, I have peace with God. For me, when I'm anxious, I write them out. From the ridiculous to the serious, I write every one of them out on a piece of paper. And then across it, I write Philippians 4, 6 to 8. And I claim the promise that God promised me. That the peace of God will guard my heart. And I visually take a Buckingham Palace guard in his red gear and his black plume hat. And I put it right here over my heart. And I say, God, you promised me peace. And he has never failed. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. The Gentiles seek after that. And I know you need those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what you're going to eat and drink and wear in your relationships, in your bank account, in your, and your, he's going to take care of that. So how do you seek after God when anxiety hits? You're developing a relationship. Christianity is a relationship with Christ and God. And you do that by reading scripture. Spending time in the Word, opening it up every morning and say, God, what are you going to teach me today? This is a living book. I recently read a book about developing habits. 
And if you don't have the habit of getting in the scripture every day, it's suggested for the next couple of weeks, set your alarms five minutes early. Get up, open the Bible, say, what are you going to teach me today? Read one verse, close it. Say a short prayer, pause for a minute, go about your day. After a couple of weeks, you'll extend that. But you begin to develop a habit, little by little. You don't leave this morning feeling guilty like, oh boy, now I'm going to read the Bible 30 minutes every day. Because most likely, you'll miss a day or two or three, and you lose the momentum. In the Scripture every day, and pray. That vertical relationship, talk to God. But as importantly, as you go through your prayer list, you stop and listen. Be still. Allow God to begin to build back into you that relationship. And then you fellowship. You spend time with other Christians. I'll admit this is a bit strange. Social distancing has altered our life forever. I do believe there'll be a day when we're not in cars in the parking lot. But spend time with other Christians and talk about Christ. Jesus said, come to me. Come. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That word learn in the Greek means disciple. Christ will disciple us if we take the time to develop a relationship, to be in the word, to pray, to fellowship. And then Paul, with the power of the Holy Spirit, goes on in verse 8 and it says, Finally, brethren, he's again addressing Christians in this talks about what our thinking should be. I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty good judge of what I should be thinking about and what I shouldn't be thinking about. I don't really need a guideline. But verse 8 gives us a guideline. I imagine like I'm in a air traffic control tower. There's planes in the sky that want to land. There's planes on the ground that want to take off. They're taxiing around. And I'm in control of that. Now replace planes with your thoughts. You can control what comes in, what lands, what takes off. G-I-G-O, God in, God out. Garbage in, garbage out. But he gives us a list. If you're wondering, just run what you're thinking through the filter of whatever's true and honorable, right, and pure and lovely and good repute and of excellence. Let your mind dwell on these things. That word dwell means abide, live inside. For me, The word abides with me much better when I'm trying to memorize. And as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder 
think we'd all agree with that. But we can still memorize. And when I'm working on a verse or two, it's always there. I don't seem to be cluttered by the noise of the world. And then it gets even a little bit harder. Verse 11, he writes, I don't write out of need or want, but I've learned to be content in all my circumstances. I've learned to be content. Let me tell you what content is not. Content is not apathy or indifference or just kind of giving up like, I'm in this circumstance, I can't get out of it, I'll just live with it. No, content is an internalization of your circumstances, independent of them. It's talk about like a city that does not need any imports that stands alone, that uh, is a glue that keeps our mind and our heart together. Content is the ability, regardless of the circumstances, to be at peace. It's often said, more is better. And I usually go to economics when I think of that. And the story comes of John D. Rockefeller born in the 1800s, died in the early 1900s. And if they take his wealth back then and transpose it to today's dollars, he's the most wealthiest man that has ever lived, John D. Rockefeller. And when asked, how much is enough? He said, one more dollar. We often find ourselves comparing others. You know, if I just had a fraction of his wealth, if I was just a little taller or a little shorter or smarter or younger or whatever it is, we begin to compare ourselves to others. And we'll find somebody higher on the food chain and we kind of get discouraged or depressed like, man, I wish I was there. Or we'll find somebody lower on the food chain and we'll be prideful. I'm glad I'm not there. He says, I've learned to be content. Focus in on the word learned. It doesn't come natural. If you find yourself envious, angry with God, frustrated, you're not content. You've learned to be un or non-content. It's a learned trait. It can be unlearned. Go to God and begin to pray. Jesus said, In me you will have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Take courage, I have overcome the world. Viktor Frankl, when he wrote in his book, A Man for Meaning, 
described that when he stood in front of the Nazi Germanys at a death camp and they stripped him naked, including his wedding ring, he said, there's one thing they cannot take from me. And that is my ability to choose how I respond. content in your circumstances. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. When it seems to be pressing in, Jesus is closer. They say in the scriptures over 366 times, it says, fear not. One for every day, including leap year. Because when the world is freaking out, The church needs to be fearless. We are the church. It's not this building behind me. We need to be in worship instead of worrying about what's going on. We need to be seeking Christ instead of looking at the chaos. We need to have faith instead of fear. It's said that if you look at the world, you'll be discouraged. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to God, you'll be at rest. That shepherd boy, David, wrote, He will cover me with his feathers. I will seek refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a shield for me. I will not be afraid. When the anxieties of this world start to press in, Trust Him. Obey Him. Believe Him. He goes on to say that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I don't have to worry. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can pray always through him who strengthens me. I can be thankful in all things through him who strengthens me. I can have peace. I can be content. I can think godly thoughts through him who strengthens me. When it gets tight, trust him. Obey him. Victory will be yours. Goliath will fall. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that says lean in when the troubles seem to be building. And now we pray to the God 
who keeps me from stumbling, but makes me stand in your presence, blameless with great joy, be glory, dominion, majesty, authority, now and forevermore. Amen.